Good morning. I am honoured to be able to share with you this morning and I'm very thankful to have been asked to speak. Um, obviously I'm sad not to be with you all in person but I'm very much looking forward to getting back into the church building together and worshipping soon. We are continuing our series in the Psalms which we began last week, um, Songs for Every Season and we'll be looking at Psalm 8 this morning. So if you'd like to open your Bibles and we will read together. Reading from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and all the fish in the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to have ears to listen and receptive hearts to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we've just gotten back from Westport on the west coast of Ireland, and I'm very thankful to have been able to prepare this sermon in such a beautiful part of the world. Um, being right beside the ocean and at the foot of a beautiful mountain range, and despite the pretty grim weather, I often find myself saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Unlike Psalm 1, um, Psalm 8 tells us that it was written by David, who we know wrote uh, the majority of the Psalms. And it doesn't take long after reading it to figure out that this is very much a song of joy. David is marvelling at God's glory here, and he contemplates the beauty of creation. And as, as he does that, he declares, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. In verse 1 and into verse 2, he emphasizes this glory. He says, you have set your glory in the heavens. God's perfect holiness and awesome glory are far beyond the understanding of human minds. He is so far above earthly things. So heaven is where God has set his glory in its fullness. And then into verse 2, through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Matthew Henry comments on this verse, how powerfully he proclaims his glory by the weakest of his creatures. And it is indeed a wonderful thing to see children worshiping and praising God. And we read in Mark's gospel, how Jesus teaches anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Therefore, I think when we reflect on God's glory and his grace, we are to adopt an almost childlike innocence, be in awe and wonder of our Heavenly Father and receive his free gift of grace. And when I was studying this psalm, more than anything else, I was struck by God's goodness. Um, and I think Psalm 8 displays God's goodness in three ways. First of all, God's goodness is in his revelation. God's goodness is in his revelation. God is inherently good for having revealed himself to us 
through both the Bible and through creation when we look around. And it seems as though David is reflecting upon this goodness by looking up at the night sky. We see in verse 3, he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. The psalmist's intention here, I think, is to draw, uh, draw to your attention the magnitude and power of God combined with his intricate care and his creativity. Consider the language, the work of your fingers. It's almost as if David is describing the work of an artist or a sculptor here when he's talking about God designing the heavens and putting the moon and stars in place. And when we ourselves take a step back and we consider the vastness of the universe, of all the galaxies, it makes it all the more amazing that God has knit us together in our mother's womb. We indeed worship a God who perfectly designed both the solar system and the nervous system in every human body. It's truly amazing. And it is this revelation, oops, excuse me, is this revelation in the night sky that leads David to ask the question, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? What I find interesting is that just a, a couple of pages back in your Bible, Job asks an almost identical question. However, when we consider the tomb, Job is in intense suffering. Um, and in Job 7, we read, he cries out to God, what is mankind that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? Will you never look away from me or let me alone for even an instant? However, compare that with David's tomb, which is one of genuine wonder and praise. He adopts an attitude of humility and reverence. And like Job, he recognises the seeming insignificance of man in comparison to the vastness of uh, the universe, of the galaxies, of the moon and stars. However, um, his tone, his reaction to, to this revelation is a polar opposite to Job. While Job is dismayed at God's making much of him and wants God to leave him alone, David cries out in praise, Lord, our Lord, and is humbly thankful that the maker of heaven and earth cares for him personally. I wonder, is this our response when we see the glory of creation, when we see a stunning view or a beautiful sunset or a waterfall or a starry night like David? Is it our first response to give glory to God? Or do we just want to get our phones out, take a photo and put it up on social media, where often we try to glorify ourselves? So my challenge to you is um, the next time you see something beautiful and you feel that urge to get your phone out, and I'm talking to myself more than anyone else here, let's join with David in saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What an amazing reminder it is that when we look up at the night sky, that we can know that the Creator knows the number of hairs on our head. What a comfort it is to know that we can cast all of our cares upon God because he cares for us. It is clear that God's goodness is in his revelation. Secondly, we see that God's goodness is in his blessing. God's goodness is in his blessing. And from the text, I think we can see how God has blessed mankind with status, with dominion and with stewardship. Let's look at verse five. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. What a blessing that is, to be made a little lower than the heavenly creatures, to be crowned with glory and honour, to be made in God's image, in the likeness of the Creator, which we read in Genesis, to be God's masterpiece 
in all creation, the crown jewel. What a privilege it is to be given this status. And then into verses 6 to 8, you have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that's in the paths of the seas. Here we see God's blessing in giving mankind dominion and stewardship. And there are shades of Genesis 1 here, which reads, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God has graciously put all uh, creatures of the earth under our feet. He has elevated us above all other creatures and given us a right to rule. God has given us responsibility to look after and care for his world. Look at verse 6. We are rulers over the works of his hands. It says... You have made them rulers of the works of your hands. What an honour and responsibility this is, for that is our responsibility to take care of God's world. It's not ours, it's God's. And yet, mankind has largely disregarded our status, our dominion, and our role as stewards. Instead of responding in humble reverence to God, like David does here, instead of responding in that humble reverence to God's generous blessing, we often elevate ourselves above God. We fail to recognise his uh, revelation to us, his blessing given to us. And instead we live to glorify ourselves and act in the way that we want to. And this failure, this sin was born in the Garden of Eden, which we read about in Genesis 3, when sin did indeed enter God's good world. And it is sin which causes us to disregard our status and live in rebellion against God. It is sin which causes us to misuse our dominion over the earth. And it is sin which causes us to reject our role as faithful stewards and not take care and look after the world in the way that we know we should. However, God in his infinite goodness has made a way to deal with this problem of sin. This disease, this sickness which separates us from God And that leads me to my third and final point. God's ultimate goodness is in the sending of his son. God's ultimate goodness is in the sending of his son. The author of Hebrews quotes this psalm when writing about Jesus being made fully human. Um, So if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and we'll read together. Reading from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while now he crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone it's crucial here that we grasp the fully divine and fully human nature of Jesus Christ here we read in John's gospel 
that in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He goes on to say that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So it's made clear to us here that our Lord Jesus is fully God. Clearly says the Word was God. Jesus was God. And yet we read here in Hebrews that he was made lower than the angels for a little while. And then in verse 17 it says he had to become like them, fully human in every way. Fully human in every way. So we can see that Jesus is fully human. It says it clearly in the text. I watched a documentary recently called American Gospel, which I would thoroughly recommend. It's on Netflix. Um, but they put it like this. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human to become 200% God-man. So being both fully human and fully God to become 200% God-man. Jesus is the God-man. And in Hebrews 2 verse 9, we see that the description of mankind given in Psalm 8, lower than the angels, also applies to our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> How amazing that our Creator humbled himself to the same status as his creatures. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that he is now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That is the Gospel in a nutshell. Jesus now reigns in heaven crowned with glory and honour because of his suffering where he tasted death for all who believe in him so that we may have life in his name. Let me say that again. Jesus now reigns in heaven crowned with glory and honour because of his suffering where he tasted death for all who believe in him so that we may have life in his name. Let me read Hebrews 2 verses 14 to 18 where the author perfectly sums up why Jesus had to be made fully human. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We've seen in Psalm 8 how God's goodness is in his revelation. But Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He is God incarnate who humbled himself to human flesh so that he might taste death for all who believe in him and make atonement for the sins of the people. We've looked at how God's goodness is in his blessing. But Jesus is the ultimate blessing. How amazing is it that we have a saviour who is able to help those who are being tempted because he himself was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Jesus suffered as he was being tempted, just as we suffer, and he can sympathise with us. But Jesus was perfect, he did not sin, and is now pleading for us before God Almighty. What a blessing that is. The psalmist ends... As he begins, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And while we can still and should respond like this, when we see the glory of creation in the oceans or in the mountains or in a starry night, we should also respond this way to God's ultimate revelation and ultimate blessing to the world in the sending of our Lord Jesus. Matthew Henry puts it this way. In singing this and praying it over, 
though we must not forget to acknowledge with suitable affections God's common favours towards mankind, particularly in the serviceableness of the inferior creatures to us, yet we must especially set ourselves to give glory to our Lord Jesus by confessing that he is Lord, submitting to him as our Lord, and waiting till we see all things put under him and his enemies made his footstool. Let's pray together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in creation and in your word. Thank you for blessing us abundantly. And thank you for the ultimate revelation and blessing in the sending of Jesus who died to save sinners. And it is in that precious name that we pray. Amen.